the WTF1 post-race podcast. Okay, the WTF1 post-race podcast, post-Monaco, round uh, six, I think it is now, done and dusted. Expectations were low for Monaco. Uh, Really, qualifying is the only high around the streets of but even before the rain came down, the race wasn't terrible. We're going to dive into everything. Now, normally, Helen and I are joined by a special guest every week, normally from the racing world. Uh, and it was supposed to be uh, the Nissan Formula E driver, uh, the Frenchman, Sasha Fenestras. Um, But he bailed on me. He bailed on us. And you know what? This was his reason why. The, the little issue, no, I cannot, because Lando just invited me. And tomorrow we have a thing all day. Uh, from 10 a.m. from 9:30 or 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. Um, so I won't be able to to be for that. I'm so sorry, man. Honestly, a thing with Lando, me too, me, mate. Me too. Like Lando invited me to it, and I'm still here. Okay, Sasha, it's not good enough. I think, you know, we we know that there's a big party on the Sunday after Monaco. I he's anticipating the hangover. He knows the last thing he wants to do is get up and do a podcast with us two idiots. Yeah. So he's especially hangover. That's like that's that's the worst punishment any person could ever have. So, you know, Sasha, ten out of ten for forward thinking and looking after yourself in the future. But we need we need a better reason next time. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll let you have this one. It was really specific though. That hangover is only going to last from nine thirty till six pm. <laughs> so, uh, and clearly you're with Lando Norris. You've got other priorities in life. That's fine. We are going to get him on the show though. He is going to come on there. Uh, but uh, Sasha Fenestra is sadly not joining us. Uh, so we will plow on anyway uh, because there is still. A fair bit to talk about, even if it was Monaco. The rain came down. We had chaos, bizarre tire strategies, some drivers literally playing bumper cars. Uh, however, at the end of it all, the order didn't really change too much. But I'm actually not too bothered by that, Callan. I mean, I'm surprised, but that was half decent for Monaco. I mean, like Monaco does, uh, yeah, okay, when it's a completely dry race and everything can get a bit processional, but there does always tend to be a little bit of drama because it is a place where drivers make a lot of mistakes and and the walls are there to bite you at every opportunity. We also see the the sort of human nature of frustration kicking in when you're sat behind another driver for 30, 40 laps and there's nothing you can do even though you've got more pace. You've got to try something. And we even saw with Carlos Sainz on on Ocon in the early stage of the race where he wins the Nouvelle Chicane and... uh, Esteban apparently moved late under braking. <laughs> Classic racing driver excuse. We love it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's it's a much more interesting challenge than a conventional race because although there's not the action and the the like obvious stuff going on, drivers are managing different different pressures, different problems that they don't necessarily have to worry about at, at races like Monza where passing is a bit more easy. Now, one of the the biggest though WTF moments was when the rain started to come down. Lots of cars making the call to go to the intermediate tyre. The difficult thing was, though, that the rain was only coming down in a certain part of the track, really through the hairpin and, and Portier in that section of the track, but it was getting heavier and heavier. Fernando Alonso, in second in the Aston Martin, comes into the pits, and we're all thinking, Inters, oh my God, this could be it for Aston Martin and Alonso. They actually could get a win on the board here. And what does he do? He goes onto the medium tyre. What on earth were they thinking? You know, I, I kind of can understand why they did it. If you look at Fernando's track positioning, he basically had a free pit stop. And if he came out and the track did dry up when everyone else boxed for inters, he would have made up net more time. Like that's what strategists are working towards. Strategists, are, they're not necessarily fighting other cars. They have to cover other cars that are around them. But they're fighting 
getting from point A to point B as quickly as they can with minimal time loss because that's how you win the race if you do it faster than everyone else. So I think it was it was a bold gamble, but it was definitely a gamble. That was, yeah, it, hindsight's a lovely thing, isn't it? I would hate to be a strategist in Formula One because they have lovely weather radars, but we all know they're not exactly accurate. And um, no one can predict the future as far as I'm aware. But how good would it have been if the rain had stopped, everyone had come in for and there was just Fernando Alonso cruising away to a 45-50 second lead, driving into the sunset, winning the Monaco Grand Prix. Maybe in an alternate universe somewhere, but unfortunately, not on this podcast. Max Verstappen domination continues. It really did. But it, it wasn't as straightforward as it might have seen because of that. But I really think oh, Aston threw away a win there. But uh, what I found... Interesting, though, was afterwards, after the race. Obviously, P2 is a great result for Aston Martin and Alonso. Once again, it's one step higher on the podium uh, than so far they've got this year with the thirds. But Alonso is being asked left, right and centre about that that tyre strategy call and, and being very sort of, I don't know if he was being coy about it or generally, you know, not really knowing if it was the right call or not. There was no blame being uh, mentioned on himself or the team. Even the celebrations were a little bit muted for second place in Monaco. Yeah, I mean, if we had seen an Aston Martin on the podium in Monaco, you would have thought there would have been this, especially if someone would have said that to them before the start of the season, you're going to be on the podium comfortably with Fernando fighting for pole position. They'd, you know, they'd have ripped someone's arm off for that. But what we saw in the garage was actually uh, like a, oh, you know, great job. We got to put that. So I want to watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, another one. It's so difficult. When are we going to win our race? And it, I think it, it's really interesting to see how. Aston Martin, their expectations have changed and they've become elevated. Despite, you know, they've, they've had great results at the start of the season. Alonso's doing an amazing job. Had pole position, if not for the best last sector we've ever seen at Monaco in a qualifying lap. I'd say I'll, I'll put it out there that that was exceptional. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's really interesting. As you say, normally we would hear Fernando probably being quite vocal with the team if there was something he was unhappy with. But he's he's really grown into this role as sort of team leader, hasn't he? And if, he's, if he is unhappy about the call, he's not showing it. And, and even, you know, obviously if it costs him a win, he's, he's still keeping the positives and maybe it shows that there's more potential for Aston there to challenge for wins later on in the season. Yeah, he was really feeling really bullish, wasn't he, coming into the weekend saying this and, and maybe it tracks like Singapore as well, where, you know, they are tighter, twistier street tracks. The, the, the level of competitiveness competitiveness is kind of minimized amongst the field really there's less distance to travel you know there's no long straights where red bull can show their advantage alonso thought he could have got the win there and and it was there for the taking at least and there was the chance but it didn't happen and doesn't that really show how in tune he is with modern formula one i mean we always we always hear a lot of noise don't we about drivers coming in or teams coming in and it's either underplaying or overplaying and how many times do we have a driver going into monaco going this is my chance to win and I'm going to lay it all on the table. And then they finish seventh. Like you, you talk about like backing yourself, backing your team, understanding the sport and the teams that you're competing against around you. Fernando is really at the top of his game. And I'm, I, I don't think he's, he's maxed out yet. I think there's still more to come. I can't wait till he's 60 years old and still, still on the grid. <laughs> Off the Zimmer frame, into the car, still away fine. we go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but it was great to see Alonso up there anyway. Um, I'll tell you who it was great to see up there though. Esteban Ocon and that Alpine. I mean, after Beck, don't you dare. That was so. <laughs> I mean, I love Esteban Bestie, but that was a bit cringe, wasn't it? Oh, it was just a bit. Oh, come on, Esteban. Sure. But I'm not going to take the podium away from him because he was, he was bloody fantastic. That pace in qualifying was amazing. He was, at the, he was on provisional pole at one point, and 
normally in, in Monaco, you know, there's very easily a late red flag at the end of Q3, and that could have been it, and it could have been Ocon on pole, maybe on course for a second career win. In the end, it was a third career podium, but he had to really fight for it. Yeah, he did. But I'd also say from the other side, he looked quite comfortable fighting cars that we think, well, we know traditionally are, are faster. And, you know, Monaco is one of those great places where the driver can make the difference, how close you get to the walls and how much you're willing to risk, especially early on in the weekend when the track's not there. It lays down the marker for how much you can develop yourself and the car over the course of the weekend, getting to the limit as early as you can, which really isn't difficult. Uh, sorry, really is, is very difficult. Um, it's not easy at all. And um, yeah, he, he looked quite comfortable there, obviously, Resisting the pressure from signs, it is quite difficult to pass. But I, I'm really surprised by that. I, I wouldn't have said he was a, a, a strong podium contender coming into the weekend, but he really did deliver. Well, he absolutely trounced Gasly, didn't he? Gasly, I mean, yeah, was his best result for Alpine so far this year. But when, you're, when your teammate's on the podium, you're a bit well, deflated. It comes after Miami, where Lauren Rossi, CEO, gave him a bit of a public telling off, basically saying it's not good enough right now. But that, uh, you know, instant almost change. Suddenly, they're right up there. But... Is it Monaco specific? Do you think we're gonna get this? They're gonna be right up there again in Spain. Completely different track, more traditional. I think it's probably gonna. Unfortunately, as much as I'd love to, again, get my crystal ball out and say that this is the new order, um, I think it's probably gonna be back to being more traditional. Obviously, we we didn't get to see the the new upgrades coming in at Imola because the race was cancelled, and we're not really a hundred percent sure yet what teams have got in terms of their, their European upgrade kits because Monaco. It doesn't really show. We obviously saw Mercedes with the new side pods and Russell coming out and going, well, that didn't really feel much different. Um, but until we get to a proper traditional racetrack, then, you know, that that's really where we're going to see what, what the teams have got, what they've brought now for this, if you want to call it, end of the first quarter of the season and, and what they're going to show for the rest of it, what direction they're going to take the cars. Yeah, it'd be uh, interesting to, to see how that develops. Um, I'll tell you what car, though, is indestructible well nearly indestructible <laughs> that Aston Martin because Lance Stroll terrible weekend for him let's be honest but playing <laughs> dodgems with basically the field the barriers he was hitting the wall and at some other cars on lap one so many times but yet nothing could seem to damage that uh Aston Martin until finally uh I think it was in the it was in the hairpin wasn't it uh and uh on the inters crashed and then crashed again, and then again, and then and then that was that was it for for, for Stroll. But disappointing for him. It was it was the last time I played. I I don't really play racing games very much, and I I saw this this meme on Twitter actually, and it was like Lance Stroll is all of us trying to negotiate Monaco on the F one game, and I was like that is <laughs> the last flashbacks. Time I, yeah, exactly. I was like the last time I played with a controller, I was literally him because it's like all or nothing, isn't it, on the lock? And it was like bang, bang, bang. I mean. And the, the contrasting thing of Fernando Alonso was literally the only one really who could challenge Max Verstappen, sort of. And then you've got Lance. I mean, it all started at the hairpin on lap one at, at Fairmont, yeah. trying to go around the outside, first barrier tap, dodgems when the rain came, and, and he hit the wall hard. Like, you're right, I don't know what the, the you know the, the mechanics and everyone back at, at Aston HQ are doing to that car, but it's strong. Like, that's a demolition derby car if ever I've seen one, and it's also very quick, so... Other teams need to take some notes for uh, some more robust structures, I think. I mean, it is very quick and clearly made of bricks. But when you look at the disparity <laughs> between Stroll and Alonso, I mean, we know Alonso is, you know, one of the best drivers on the grid. But ah, that's a bad, like, there's going to be, and this is a bigger question that I'm sure we'll explore throughout the rest of the season. But when your dad owns the team, but you are really not on the pace, you know, there's going to have to be a question asked at some stage, right? 
well, let me let me ask you this. Obviously, we got the news that obviously they're switching to Honda engines as well. Yeah. What do you do then? Because you can't get rid of Fernando. Fernando's not going anywhere. We've already established he's going to be in his mid seventies driving Formula One. That's probably what he's going to be. <laughs> Goes up another decade <laughs> with every time you exactly. talk about it. <laughs> By the next podcast, it's going to be a hundred. Yeah. He's just <laughs> forgetting where he's going, which corner comes next. You have to be on the radio telling him. But it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Really, where. If if Aston Martin are serious about fighting at the front, they need two really strong drivers. And you know, Lance has comes with good pedigree in junior single seaters. He's he's won everything he's raced. What, at what point do you then go? Well, hang on a minute. You've got Alonso really maximizing the car and developing and fighting at the front, but you're just not there. What as you say? At what point do you start asking the questions? And yeah, I I think the, you know the nature of Formula One. It doesn't really matter if it's family. There's a lot of money going into it. You know, Lawrence is a very successful businessman. He's not probably adverse to making ruthless decisions. And yeah, I think Lance is probably being tracked like any other driver and he definitely needs to up his game and catch Fernando. Otherwise, when Honda come in, there could be a small Yuki Sonoda knocking on the door potentially. Let's start that rumor right now. Let's keep, in fact, let's keep adding fuel to the fire, shall we? I'm all for a Sonoda alongside Alonso in a uh, factory Aston Martin Honda. That would be mega. Shame for Yuki. He was looking good in the points, actually, for, for the race, but then brake issues and he plummeted right down towards the end. So a shame for Yuki not to get points, but once again, uh, having the better of DeVries. Um now, we were talking about uh, Stroll playing Dodgems. Uh, Carlos Sainz was also out there getting quite feisty, not only on the radio, but he had, he, coming very close to the back of Ocon. Uh, in fact, there was contact, as you said, in the Nouvelle Chicane, uh, and that uh, gave him some damage. It actually didn't seem to affect his pace too much with, with the front wing. Um, but Sainz not happy with the Ferrari strategy. And when you look at where the Ferrari started the race and where they finished, Sainz only ahead of the two McLarens. Um, it, it, that's not good. Him being boxed uh, for the medium tyre to try and cover off Hamilton behind him. But he didn't care about Hamilton. He wants to try and get the jump on Ocon. They were trying to play a little game of chicken to see who would come into the, the pits first. But Sainz was not happy. He, but he has said since that, you know, I think I got a bit too fiery over the radio. But at the same time, you know, what kind of call was that? Yet again from Ferrari. Well, that, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier on about the driver. Like, there's nothing worse than following a car that you know you're quicker than. Because if, if Sainz had cleared Esteban, he would have checked away, you know, gone away into the sunset. So you sat and you're watching, you're watching, you're watching. There's nothing you can do because it's super tight. He, the car ahead's not making a mistake. You then get your glimpse of what is the opportunity to get that track positioning. They mess it up, whatever, you know, they, they make the wrong call. Again, hindsight's very easy. And then they come on the radio and go, oh, well, we've got the gap one, whatever it is, 1.5 seconds to Hamilton behind. Of course, as a driver, you react, well, going, I, I don't care about P5. I care about P3. I want to be on the podium. I want to be maximizing what we've got. And um, so I, I completely understand why he got a bit fired up. But I, I do find it very interesting because we, we always continually talk about the Ferrari strategy Masterclass. We can do this now. We're on the YouTube channel. Yeah, it's it's all very good, isn't it? We can put some yeah, quotes yeah. in. Um, and it, it's I just find it very interesting because you have huge teams of people that you know that they are Formula One effectively, aren't they? How do they keep getting it so wrong? And and what's it going to take for them to start making those calls again to get rid of this terrible reputation? Of course, Ferrari make a lot of good strategy calls as well. It's only really the bad ones again highlighted because of. Well, because of us, it's very easy to sit here and say it. <laughs> but it is, it's 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 interesting because it is those little decisions that hurt. Losing out on the points in Monaco, they come in handy over the course of a year. And if you get more points, you get more prize money, which obviously leads to, you know, being able to develop a car more. And it, it all it's years of spiraling that that lead to this point, isn't it? And mm. 
you know, if I was signs, I'd be very unhappy on losing the podium. And, um, you know, obviously we're just happy because it means that I get to say the word esti bestie again. And on the, uh, the po- I'm sorry, that's the last time I said, I promise, I promise, I promise. It's, it's I promise. very icky, isn't it? It's very icky. It is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not- I take it back. As I said it, I realized the error of my ways. <laughs> um, well, I actually think, you know, we, we are quick to go on the Ferrari strategy. I actually think, we're, you know, we could have got in harder, but I think they are, it was, uh, outshone by the Alonso Aston Martin situation, not going onto the Inters really uh, for Monaco. Uh, but that was signs uh, and Ferrari Leclerc pretty much just stayed um, where he started. Uh, at least he finished the race. Let's just be. It's the Leclerc curse continues it in Monaco. It is because his even, brother and even Arthur, well, yeah. yeah. It's a thing. I'm telling you. Like there is, there is. If I was him, I'd change my name before the race. Just change it next year, just to see if it happens. Uh, and then if Arto has another bad race in F2, because he's probably going to stay for another year, isn't he? Then, uh, yeah. then we'll really know. We just need to find out because he's never going to win that race, is he? I don't think. I don't he's, think it's allowed. I, I, being being a Monegasque racer, uh, I don't think he can win the Monaco Grand Prix. It's not going to happen. He's probably the like you know. I I don't know. The, hopefully, the people out there can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know any other Monegasque like drivers coming through. That well. So is well, this, well, is this well, the last well. chance? Uh, well, 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 you mean well. Uh, actually coming through? No, I know yeah, yeah, the yeah. one. There, there was a Monegasque racer, Louis Chiron, who uh, this is the commentator stat coming in. I Let's go. I wrote Let's it go. down uh, for my commentary this weekend, but I never got it out there. And I don't actually have it on me now, so I'm going to get it wrong. Of course I have. But uh, Louis Chiron, because actually coming through to back, the first section then of the swimming pool chicane is actually called sort of Louis Chiron. I think, and really? um, and it's named after him, a prolific uh, Monegasque racer in, in in the top echelon of racing between World War One and World War Two, and he got onto the podium in Monaco, and that was his only podium in his career, I believe. Somebody's really? going to tell me I've because I haven't got it in front of me now. Somebody's going to tell me that's completely wrong, and I'm going to have to double check it after this. But I think that's. I mean, it sounds that. great though, doesn't it? Like that. Yeah. What, what a what a fact. No, yeah, I had that ready. That. I had that ready for the red flag filler that I was going to have uh, to do, but it didn't yes. come. It didn't come. Um, it didn't come. Even with the wet weather, we didn't get any kind of red flags or safety cars or nothing. It was it was bizarre. We didn't get it last time either in Monaco. It's crazy. Drivers doing a very good job of staying on the track, except for Kevin Magnussen, uh, who uh, bless him, it was left out on the slick tire uh, and in the end just could not keep it out of the wall because it was so wet but i mean was that just a case of Haas going yeah i mean you were fighting for 14th there was nothing better really we could have done i think it was gunter steiner getting him back for smashing the door that's what it was <laughs> all those years gunter never forgets we all know that <laughs> no it was it's complete strategy isn't it it's like it's it's and imagine it suddenly if it worked. dried up imagine it had worked because mm. actually you know monaco is one of those places where it does drive quite fast um again a little i, th- I think this is they resurfaced it sort of three four years ago i don't know if they resurfaced it every year but yeah, certainly they did, they did resurface fun, yeah, yeah. And the, the newer tarmac services, they, they drive very, very fast compared to your, your older tarmac, especially like normal roads. So it, it might have been a gamble that worked. You have to take it because if it works out and a Haas wins in Monaco, that would be scenes. That we're, we're all here for that. Again, fortunately, didn't happen. We're here discussing all the other bits. But I, I think an interesting point you made, it wasn't so much that the drivers were really good at keeping the cars on the track because there was cars sprayed left, right and center. It was just the drivers were really good at finding reverse, which is actually quite hard to do in a race car, yeah, to be honest with you. That's true. And uh, and also manage, it's also there was some decent spinning uh, going out in uh, the Sand of Vault runoff and, um, and oh, before the hairpin, Beau Rivage, is it? Yeah. Beau Rivage, um, yeah. In the runoff there. there you know, because it's tight, especially in these, you know, Formula One cars these days to get, to get a good spin that- on you. 
half decent that job. photo of Russell rejoining and Perez collecting him as the Aston Martin what flies down the escape. Imagine though, imagine if that was Verstappen, and after all oh. the ping they've had this year anyway, imagine if he clouted Max. That would have been. Well, I mean, we would have oh. started the show with that for a start, but oh. that was yeah, that was. You know, sometimes you just create these iconic images, don't you? That will just stay forever, and you know, you know that that's going to be a meme that lives on, yeah. which I'm I'm more than happy for. But yeah, I think the drivers now know the uh, Monaco escape roads better than they did <laughs> certainly in previous years, don't they? Well, look, uh, it was it was a good race for all intents and purposes. I think for Monaco, um, Max Verstappen in the end winning out extends his championship lead, and really though, Verstappen had a great race, but you know. He found the wall and stuff then uh, through to back. He still he was still playing a little bit of bumper cars, kept it on the straight and narrow. But to get pole position ahead of Alonso, who was fastest in the first two sectors, it was all coming through the swimming pool chicane for Max Verstappen. That final sector was just magic. That was just perfection. Like you can't... I can't explain to you how perfect that is and how hard that is to do. Every barrier, every, you know, every apex is the barrier. Every barrier he hit, and he even hit the barrier on the start finish with a grid start. He carries so much speed through the last corner, Anthony knows, that he actually managed to lean on the barrier on the right-hand side where the pit boards are hung out. That is exceptional. There was, there was nothing left on the table there, and it's so rare to say that you always look at a lap as a driver or as an engineer or whatever. There's always something because it's so hard to be perfect. That was perfect. Mm. That was just absolute perfection, and and what a what a joy to watch. And you know, thankfully the the race direction, the, the coverage was so good this year. We actually got to see it rather than a cutaway of Lance Stroll. Yes, thank you, uh, F One TV, for taking it over from Monaco. Uh, well, bloody done. Um, I, it just highlights, though, doesn't it, that Verstappen is special. He is, and he doesn't make mistakes, if many. And if he does, he he gets away with it, unlike. Sergio Perez and as much as I think he is a brilliant racing driver clearly is he's not at the level of Verstappen there are different different ends of their career for a start but Sergio Perez crashing in turn one and qualifying you can't do that around Monaco not when you're literally one of two fighting for this championship let's be honest if fighting is even allowed come the halfway point to start 20th and last in Monaco I mean they tried something with the strategy it it wasn't really ever gonna pay off unless there was a massive shunt, which, you know, it's Monaco, could have happened. But Perez, man, that's not it's not good enough. Yeah, it was just a very clumsy race as well, wasn't it? I mean, you know, accidents happen, it's fine. But he really needed to make good progress. And he, he just made too many errors over the course of the race. There was, you know, running into the back of people after the, the tunnel, the punk, or, the you know, the, the contact on the first lap, which led him to pit. It's just... That wasn't the race he needed, especially after where Max is again, you know, we, we again, hold my hands up. We sat here and we we're like, this is the start of the championship fight. Max has well and truly, you know, dug it in to say, no, it's not. And then to, for Max to be delivering the performances he's delivering while Sergio's delivering the clumsy races that just happened there, it doesn't send the best message for a championship. As much as I'd love to talk differently, you know, you, it's going to be a big, big struggle to to catch back up and then elevate yourself to a higher level than that because yeah you know max is max is there max is 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 up and as you said what a special performance and i don't think it's going to be the last one we see this weekend or this this year sorry no not so the thing is though when perez wins you know we talk about how amazing it was it was a really good win he kept verstappen at bay but verstappen's only like 
you know, a couple of seconds behind it. Whereas when Verstappen wins, it's by a mile and it's dominating. Do you think, I know we're still, we are still early on in this season, the longest ever, you know, before the cancellations. Um, but do you think it is championship over? Do you think, and I don't mean that in terms of mathematically, obviously, but 39 points, the gap now at the top, but Red Bull could well use this as a perfect way of going, well, look, you're basically plus 40 points behind. This is, let's, we know you're now supporting Ralph Verstappen. I, I think it is too early to say it's over. It's never over because, you know, plagues of mechanicals, whatever it is that can happen. Mistakes, Max also isn't perfect. He's at a very high level, but he's not perfect. He's a human being. So I don't, I don't think not. he is. <laughs> well, I do not think he is. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I find really interesting from like a driving perspective is obviously we saw that amazing last sector. If we rewind back, um, you know, the, the keen-eyed or the people that remember it, that Saudi qualifying where Max was on the absolute laps of laps and then plowed it into the barrier. I find it really interesting how Max's developmental process, like for him to find these next levels, he's almost free of, of the fear of making mistakes, mm. you know, and that's something that can hold a lot of drivers, athletes, whatever it is back. He's, he's really just like, well, if, if I crash trying to do the perfect lap, it doesn't matter. Whereas I think no one else really lays it on the line and he does make those mistakes. He learns from those mistakes and then he elevates himself to be able to go and deliver like he did in Monaco. And I, again, maybe putting two and two together here, but the lap in Saudi, I think is part of the reason why he was able to do the lap that he did in Monaco because he he found that extra little bit didn't quite execute it, but he now knows that it's there. And I think we're going to have to see more of that from Sergio, not not necessarily clumsy moments, but moments of brilliance where he lays everything on the line to see really how much is left in the bag with what he's got for his driving style and the way that he's traveling with the car. And, and, hope, and that's his best chance. Mm. If he doesn't take that next step, then there's no chance that it's even going to be a fight. Red Bull won't probably have to get involved because potentially for every max DNF, if he keeps scoring the big margins on him in terms of points, the gap just continues to extend. And yeah, mathematically over the course of a long season, but if we get sort of halfway through and the gap's well over 100 points, then it's going to be very, very, very difficult for, uh, for Sergio to pull it back. Yeah, um, well, we'll wait and see. We go to Spain next week, don't we? But of course, that was the, the scene of Verstappen's debut at a Red Bull and first ever win. Uh, and he's pretty pretty good around there, is old Max Verstappen. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on how Sergio Perez gets going. Uh, some of the other uh, things coming into the weekend as well were upgrades because of the cancellation of Imola and, and rightfully so. You know, all our thoughts very much with those in the uh, Emilia-Romagna region and, and Northern Italy. Um, but upgrades were supposed to be introduced there, particularly on Mercedes' side with this huge upgrade that Total Wolf was talking about and then trying to play down. They plowed through, brought them into Monaco, uh, new side pods, new bits and bobs. And yeah, you know, double points finish, but they weren't up there fighting with Alpine. They weren't up there fighting with, or at least Ocon. They weren't up there fighting with um, Alonso and, and Verstappen. That's for sure where Hamilton and Russell certainly expect to be. A, what was the point of bringing them to Monaco? And B, um, it sounds like it hasn't really made the step. Or is it too early to really say in Spain, we'll see what they've really got? Well, they, they brought it there because they spent all this money doing it. I mean, it, it yeah, doesn't it Monaco, make sense. If, you, yeah. if you're going to crash anyway, you're going to crash in Monaco. What happens then? You know, you've just ripped yeah, a side pod off that you've just spent ages developing. Everybody knows people in Formula One don't work hard enough. There's not enough well, races. Yes, There's too much downtime. So if they crash the cars in Monaco, it just gives them more stuff to do in between the races. Yeah, very it's true. Easy. Very true. Yeah. So, no, I, I think that's a very good point, actually, to, to bring potentially new upgrades. But I think it kind of, again, it shows how hard everyone's trying to push to catch up. It's it's the risk versus reward. And obviously the reward of 
it working and having a great race weekend in Monaco far outweighs the the other risk of crashing and you know all the hard work of all the guys back at the factory girls at the factory are you know nullified effectively so it does make some sense but also at the same time i think we have to wait and see when we get to barcelona there's a combination low medium high speed corners it's a more traditional race and hopefully hopefully fingers crossed we're going to see teams elevate with the upgrades that they brought otherwise it's a lot of time and money spent to uh go back to the drawing board it is at least the one thing uh that they well, every other team could come away with was when uh, the Red Bull cinched up high by the crane. Oh. You get a lovely picture on your phone. Oh. Save that image. And then all oh, you do, copy that. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Designers, uh, away you go. Those cranes, though, makes gives me vertigo when they launch them up that high around Monaco. An F1 car it should not be that high anywhere. Well, it happened a few years ago at Macau, didn't it? Obviously, the, the famous F3 race that, mm. that used to happen. Hopefully, it will happen again. So what a race. If anyone has some time, go back and just, just you know, YouTube that. That Absolutely awesome watching F3 cars hack around the streets of Macau. It's carnage. Mm. And whenever they crash, obviously, the cranes bring them up because there's not much space around. And there was um, a car that got lifted up on a crane and it got damaged. It got sent into a building. Then they put it on the flatbed and it fell off the flatbed. <laughs> Oh God! Think of all the money. Yeah, oh. and that's you know that's a front wing in a in one of those old F three cars that the F three was probably like I think it's somewhere in the region of about five thousand euros. So yeah, yeah, I don't know what that is in conversion for other currencies. I'm not very good at maths, but it's it's enough money you to hurt your pocket, isn't it? Really? So yeah, it's something yeah, that a driver uh, will not want to have to fork out for uh, on an uh, extra basis, is it? Um, and actually, because there was F three Mount Monaco. For the first time, FIA Formula 3, modern Formula 3 around there for the first time. Obviously not the first time that third tier racing has been around Monaco. There wasn't that much overtaking even in F3. And that got me worried for the race. And I thought, oh God, if there's not much overtaking in F3, God help us for F1. But even though there wasn't overtaking, there was still drama. So all in all, Monaco, you know, you earned your place on the calendar. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, all, all the <laughs> chat that we had about, oh, we should replace Monaco and it's terrible. Monaco is amazing. It is Can we special. just, can it we is. appreciate Monaco? Th those aerial shots of watching Formula One cars and they're fast now. They really are. Watching them negotiate the streets of Monaco with the sea in the background, all the lovely, but uh, it's, it's just amazing. And we, we, Let's end the discussion, please. I will, fine, by all fine. means, continue it. But uh, only if you think that it should stay on the calendar until Fernando Alonso retires in 100 years. In 100 in a <laughs> <laughs> In 125 years, yeah. Um, okay. It was. It is special. And qualifying, obviously, is always pretty sensational around uh, around Monaco. Um, okay, it is time for our WTF1 podium. Uh, now, it's just going to be me and you, Callum, this week. Normally, uh, we'll have somebody extra, but Sasha, as we know, is out partying or recovering from his party with Lando Norris, which is fair enough. We will his, wish we would be there. His star performer is definitely himself yeah. <laughs> for the party last night with Lando Norris. <laughs> Come on, then. Uh, right, so, Callum, uh, up first, let's have your star performer. There's there's a couple here. I would I'd I have to say Verstappen. Mm -hmm. He was yeah. just so good all weekend. That from from qualifying in the race, he was in command. There was didn't even really know he was there, did we? So yeah, untouchable in the streets, and what a deserving victory. What about yourself? I'm gonna go for Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. Uh, Esti. Esti. Uh, <laughs> when someone else says it, I can see how bad it is. Oh, oh, God, that it, nearly kills it, me. 
Um, How dare you? <laughs> but uh, you know what? I think that uh, that result in the qualifying lap time for a starter was sensational. To put that in, trounced his teammate Gasly by some margin this weekend. Held on to it, held on to the pressure, made the right calls, didn't make any stupid mistakes. He was my star performer. When it, I know it's, I always think it's too easy to give it to the winner. I think uh, so. I'm going to go for, for Ocon as my star. Not performer. when they dominate the way that they did. Surely, yeah, well, to that. It was he was so good. He was just on it. Anyway. Anyway. Well, go on then. Who you're allowed you're you're allowed an opinion. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you so much, Callan. <laughs> uh, right. On the flip end then, worst performer. I'm so relieved to say this. It's not Nick DeVries. Not Nick DeVries. It's, 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 not. Not, it's not Nick DeVries. He actually did all right. I mean he he, he did decent qualifying, decent race, you know, didn't stick yeah. it in the wall. This is the start of the Nick DeFries resurgence, and yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm yeah. attaching myself to this now. So he escaped I would say, the bottom rung of the podium. There. I would say honorable mention for Lance Stroll, but unfortunately yeah, very Sergio true. Perez, because when your teammate does what he does in that car, and you are where you are, unfortunately, it's it's got to be Sergio. And yeah, let's see how he bounces back in Spain. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Perez is, is my worst performer of the weekend. Uh, biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. For me, it was Ocon. I okay. see that's that's why he didn't get my star performer because I, again, if someone would have said to me Ocon before the start of the race, I I wouldn't. I just didn't think it was it was there. The package wasn't quite there, and yeah, to see him finish on the podium and and do it the way that he did and have the great qualifying and everything that for me was a big surprise and was definitely worthy of my star performer, but more of a surprise to me. Yeah, no, I can see that. Mine's. Uh, I don't know if it's left field or not, and it wasn't until this morning where I just sort is of it Paul Deresta? It's not Paul Deresta. <laughs> Long may that man continue his <laughs> racing career. Um, I, I am a Paul DeResta fan. I'm just going to say it. All right, I'm going to get that out of the way now. We're going to rip that band-aid off. I just wanted off. to drop it in before the end of the pod. I've been weighing the entire time. I was I'm, like, this is the last chance. Let's rip that in. band-aid off now, okay? Yeah. I think he's a great driver and deserves to be in Formula 1 longer. Um, but I didn't want to get that in at the start of the podcast because this is the first time we're on YouTube. So I didn't want to yeah. <laughs> piss everybody off uh, <laughs> right at the start. But my biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix is actually the two McLarens. Now, um, they both got points, decent ah, yeah. qualifying, but it wasn't until, uh, and actually, star, big star performers go actually to the, the Lando Norris's uh, mechanics for getting that car fixed and out in time for Q3. Um, but I just thought, actually, when I sat back and thought about it this morning, yeah, you know, Alpine did much better in terms of that's who they're locked in a battle with in the constructors. But you know what, for Piastri to be right there with Norris and, and overtaking at a premium around Monaco to come home with, with a double points finish uh, in a McLaren that is struggling this year. Um, I actually thought was, was a really good performance. So, and I was surprised actually, because they went a little bit under the radar for me. Yeah. hundred percent. Actually, that's a very good point. It kind of gets overlooked a little bit, doesn't it? That's a, that's a very good it's, point. It's always, yeah. Well, that, that's made me reconsider mine, but I'm, I'm still going to, still going to keep, I'm not going to say it. No, I'm no, gonna, no. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Don't you dare. Um, well, look, we don't have long to wait then until uh, we're back again next week for the Spanish Grand Prix. And then it's a little bit of a break. And then I think we go to Canada, don't we? Um, so a slightly more traditional track. Uh, what are you expecting from, from Spain, Callan? What do I want or what am I expecting? Let's do what do you want and then what do you expect? I'd love carnage. I'd love rain halfway through the race, oh. like a proper Spanish thunderstorm. Yeah. I'd love to see a Haas win. Um, <laughs> All right, we're just being ridiculous now. <laughs> preferably Hulkenberg. Redemption on the strategy call. Um, the first podium in Formula 1 for Nico Hulkenberg. And it's a win. It? Yeah, that would and be And it's mega. a win. What a, no, I, I, I think what we'll probably see is we'll see 
you know, Perez obviously closer to Verstappen again, probably Verstappen driving away. Hopefully someone can challenge him. You never know. Again, Barcelona, a very difficult place to pass. So if you can get yourself ahead of a car that's a similar speed to you, then you can hold him off. Maybe the Matador shows something, you know, continues his his uh, recent development as a rookie in Formula One all the way through to his late ages and, and puts the Aston Martin at the front. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope that we see the upgrades working mm-hmm. and just just some just something different. I'd love to see some teams bring something that works that that really elevates them and brings them closer to the front of the field. Yeah, I agree. What I think you? I know I agree. I think um as much as I'd love to see Hasses on the podium um <laughs> in a make believe world that'd be bloody brilliant. <laughs> but I think you know if Mercedes can get these upgrades right, you know, and elevate them suddenly in the fight for the podium with Fernando Alonso in the, in the Aston Martin. I'd love to see Alpine continue this form because then suddenly, okay, you've got Red Bull up there. But if you then, you know, got that gap, which then now contains Aston Martin, Alpine, Mercedes, Ferrari, then then, then we're cooking. Then we've got a good little yeah, battle exactly. going. So if they can get their acts together, basically, I'd love to see that uh, and start to develop because we are still very early on in this season. It's so easy to feel like we've been doing this for ages now. But actually, we're not even halfway yet. So, well, let's let's lay it on the line. What's your top three prediction? Top, oh, top three prediction. Top, okay, okay. Prediction. All right, my realistic top three prediction is Verstappen, Perez, and Alonso. Sorry, Ooh, okay. boring. Did, you? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm gonna say Verstappen, Alonso, okay, Leclerc. Oh, okay, okay. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. We'll go with it. Let's see. I'd, what li- I'd like to Let's see Alonso on the podium. Alonso on the podium in his home race would be nice. Maybe a signs on the podium too for his home race. A double Spanish podium would be nice, I think. That would be good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's see what happens well let's Put see let's know your top three uh, and if you like this podcast well we'd love to hear from you if you didn't don't say anything uh, th- <laughs> <laughs> but whatever you say just mean it just yeah, say something yeah. why not <laughs> uh, leave us a review you know how well they do on the algorithms and all this kind of stuff like subscribe and all that jazz stay tuned across WTF1 uh, the website for all the latest news and, and things like that and of course uh, Hot Takes Wednesday uh, out on Wednesday shock and uh, we will be back <laughs> same time next week probably uh, to look back at Spain and it will be me Callan and maybe a guest unless Lando Norris persuades him to go to a party and they have to bail on us um, so we will get Sasha Fenestres on the show at one stage who would you like us to get on the show we would love to know give us your suggestions make them realistic we can't just bring up Lando and get them on um, but yeah we can ask Sasha to call Lando they can't That's we, just true. as long as it's not on a Monday That's true. as long as it's not on a Monday <laughs> we'll, get him on, we'll get him on for a midweeker uh, look Callan O'Keefe thank you very much as always uh, I've been Harry Benjamin and we shall see you right back here next week to look back at all things Spain on the New Look WTF1 post-race podcast. Bye-bye.